Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're going to study the Bible with you this morning and uh, hope that helps us all know our Bible a little bit better. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain what we do. We answer viewers' questions. Uh, there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those any time to get in touch with us. Uh, you're the one that directs this program and decides what we talk about. And we get all kinds of questions about the Bible and about life. And we try to find answers to those in the Bible. So give us a call or log on and let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. I'm Steve Tandy and a couple of gentlemen that help me each week, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Jeff Martin's here. Hi, Jeff. Good morning, Steve. Glad you guys are here and studied up and ready to go. And uh, hopefully our viewers know a little bit of Bible trivia because they always get the first question. And here's your question in the viewing audience. Bernice, <laughs> character in the Bible. She was married to somebody. Got a multiple choice. Felix, Agrippa, or Festus. Uh, who was Bernice's husband? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. All right, a little geography question yes, or sir. something here. Toby, yep, take us to Ethiopia. First question <laughs> is, is Ethiopia where the Bible started? And the answer to that is we don't know. Uh, probably not, but uh, some people look at uh, the, the description of how the world began and specifically the Garden of Eden and there's a description in chapter 2 of Genesis about the division. There's a river, and it divides into four ways, and they pull out a map, and they say, oh, hey, here's a place where there's four rivers, and that's probably where the Garden of Eden was or is or what have you. Well, the problem is, I mean, in the thinking, is that there was a just a, a tiny little event known as a cataclysmic worldwide flood that changed everything about the world then and the world today. And it changed it significantly, uh, and I'm convinced it, it changed uh, the landscape, the topography, the geography, and just about everything else. So, uh, no, we really don't know. The Bible doesn't say there's no indication uh, where the Garden of Eden uh, was and uh, where it would be located today. Uh, you can look on a map, but the world has changed significantly from that time. And, in fact, the Bible does say that. Yeah, let's look at Second Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Peter writes, For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed of, out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So Peter's very clear. Now, he's not really talking about geography change, but uh, we do see the point that the world that was is different than the world's now. So I hope that helps and uh, clarifies as you look at some Bible maps uh, that we don't know exactly where the Garden of Eden uh, was as the Bible began. 
All right, if you ever want to know about uh, races intermixing and wonder what the Bible has to say about that, uh, well, some of our Bible students in the audience know that if you want to learn about a Bible topic, you get a, a concordance and you look up the word that you're interested in, and it'll give you all the mentions of that in the Bible. Uh, so if you get a concordance and look up race, uh, what you'll find is Paul said, I've finished the race. Uh, Hebrew says to run with perseverance the race. Uh, Solomon said that the race goes to the swift. Now, my point is the only thing you can find in the Bible about race is talking about a track event, uh, running. Uh, that's what the Bible talks about when it says race. Uh, it doesn't mention the kind of race that our viewer is talking about, uh, color of skin or nationality or what we call race. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Uh, there's just one race in the Bible, the human race, and that's the way it is from Genesis 1 on. God created man. Uh, so, the Bible doesn't talk about races intermixing since it doesn't even talk about race. Now, I, I know that the Bible does talk about marriages, intermixed marriages uh, in a sense, uh, and it prohibits it. But if you look, it's not anything to do with color of skin or country or nationality or uh, any of that, nothing ethnic about it. It's about who believes in God and who doesn't believe in God. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were God's chosen people. They, among all the people in the world, uh, worshipped Jehovah God, the one true God. And what he told them was, you don't marry, you don't intermix, you don't uh, get associated with people who follow other gods. Uh, the pagans and the Amor, the Philistines and all the people that worship Baal and Dagon and all kinds of other gods, he said, you, you don't marry those people, you don't live with them. They will take you away from the worship of Jehovah God. So the Bible does prohibit uh, mixed marriages. But it's nothing about race. It's about who believes in Jehovah God and who doesn't. Uh, the Israelites were told not to marry people who didn't follow Jehovah God. So nothing about races intermixing. Okay. I've got a viewer that wants to know what the seven deadly sins are and where they are found in the Bible. Uh, and the seven deadly sins are actually not in the Bible. Uh, many times they're confused with the seven things or six things that God hates and seven he finds detestable, which is found in Proverbs 6. But when we're talking about the seven deadly sins, that's actually Catholic theology. Uh, and the Catholics teach that there are seven great sins and that if we fall into these sins on a regular basis, uh, they will begin to consume us and can, can uh, eventually uh, make a person forfeit their soul. So very serious things. Uh, let's look at the list uh, that the Catholic Church teaches are the seven deadly sins. Uh, we have wrath, sloth, lust, greed, pride, and envy. So those are the seven deadly sins. Again, they are not found in the Bible. Uh, a common misconception about these sins is that they are unforgivable. And usually we find that outside of even Catholic circles. Usually it's non-believers uh, or people who, who have a, a small amount of, of knowledge of these things think these are unforgivable sins, but the Catholic Church does not teach that. 
Um, all of these are sins according to the Bible. Uh, so you will find all of these individually and sometimes in lists together in the Bible, but they're never officially called the seven deadly sins. Romans 6 tells us that all sin results in death. Um, and, and most sin falls into the category of one of, of these in this list. Uh, most of the time you can, you can put any sin uh, into a category of pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, or sloth. Um, so uh, all sin results in death, including these seven, um, but by grace we're forgiven. So again, seven deadly sins as a, as a, a Catholic teaching are not found in the Bible in this way. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. We get a lot of questions about people say, where's this in the Bible? Mm-hmm. And it's things they've heard that sound like they're in the Bible. They do, yeah. There ought to be a list of seven deadly sins <laughs> somewhere. Uh, but it's just tradition. It's just what man has taught and came, come up with. And it's a good list. I mean, it, it they're is. all bad things. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, but God doesn't say it's right there. And that's one reason that we're on the air and talk about the Bible and Bible study is seeing what God really did say. Uh, God says sin is sin, not just here's seven really bad ones that you need to avoid. So we do advocate Bible study. We talk about it uh, for 30 minutes with you, but we also take just a minute to invite you to study the Bible in a uh, a special way. And uh, we've got some tools that help you do that. We're happy to provide those to you absolutely free of charge if uh, you'd like to study the Bible with us. Uh, We will send you some courses in the mail. Uh, Here's the first set of lessons. There's eight lessons in it. It's just a good overview of the Bible. Helps you understand the two big parts, Old Testament and New Testament. Then we've got some others that are a little more detailed. uh, Take you through different parts of the Bible and the life of Jesus. Lots of interesting studies. Uh, keep studying the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study Tools. If you'd rather do one digitally, online, we can arrange that for you. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and they will get you signed up for some online Bible studies and you can begin to know your Bible a little bit better. So use that website or phone number on the screen or log on yourself if you want the digital and uh, get started in Bible study. All right, Toby. Question about what do you say when you're saved? Uh, What do you say to God to be saved? Well, I have to uh, say that there's no precise formula for any specific uh, recitation of words that equal salvation. Jesus was clear in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, that you believe and be baptized. Now, we believe that as part of belief, there is what we call the profession of faith. But the Bible really doesn't give us a specific word-for-word formula, obviously, because uh, there's different languages. And, I mean, in theory, uh, could a person who was mute uh, become a Christian? Well, yes, but they're unable to mouth the words, to enunciate those words um, that would be required. So the idea is that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you believe in your heart, you're going to confess with your mouth. And so... Traditionally, we've called that the profession of faith, but the Bible doesn't give us a specific formula. It does talk about the idea of professing faith and why that's important in Romans chapter 10, 
verses 9 and 10. Let's look at that together. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. <clears throat> so, profession of faith is important, and it's a part of, it's really connected to your belief with what's in your heart. So sometimes if a person wants to become a Christian, and, and we'll ask them, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And they'll say, yes, well, that's a profession. I've heard other people say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he's presenting to him the gospel uh, from, from Isaiah the prophet. And as they're going along, apparently they talk about baptism. The eunuch says, hey, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And some of the manuscripts say, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he re- replies, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that's a profession. Uh, these are, uh, again, there's no specific formula. But the main part of it is is understanding that it is an expression of the conviction in the heart of the belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And based upon that uh, confession, that understanding that He is Lord, we're, we're responding out of the heart and then responding uh, to the command to be baptized. So um, there's no specific formula. We have a few examples of the main thing is profession that Jesus is Lord and your belief in that in that fact. Hope that helps. All right, if you were got a church organization question here uh, and said uh, deacons, elders and bishops, uh, were those all the same office in Bible times? Well, our viewers close, not exactly right, but close. Uh, and the reason this is an interesting question is because titles uh, for religious leaders, uh, there's a lot of them, and a lot of them are not in the Bible. Uh, if you check into church organizations and look at uh, who are the leader of today's denominations and uh, re- different religions, you'll find all sorts of titles. And a few of them are in the Bible, but a lot of them aren't. And a few that are used, that are in the Bible, are misused. Uh, so our viewer's on to something here. He wants to know what, what those words mean in Bible times and were they all the same? Well, like I said, close. Uh, let's uh, get the deacons and elders sorted out first. So let's put this chart on the screen. Uh, in First Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy about appointing officials in the churches. And in chapter uh, 3 of First Timothy, in verse 2, He describes what an elder ought to be like, an elder or a shepherd or a bishop, depending on which translation you have. All those are used for the same office. And he says elders ought to be like this, starting in verse 2. And then in verse 8, he says deacons likewise should be this kind of man. So there's two different descriptions or Sometimes we call it a list of qualifications. Uh, It's a description of the kind of man that ought to be an elder or a deacon. So from that passage, we figure out that, okay, elders are different than deacons. It's two separate things. So that's where our viewer was off a little bit. Elders and deacons aren't the same. Elders and deacons are a little different. Deacons are servants. 
elders are overseers, and that's where we define that term a little bit uh, more fully. So let's look at what the Bible says about elders or overseers or bishops. Let's look at that chart. Uh, in First Peter 5, Peter uses all three terms, and I put the Greek word up there for you, and then our English translation. Uh, one word is translated elder, one is translated shepherd, one is translated overseer, or presbyter, pastor, bishop, and you may recognize some of those as terms or titles that people use today. Uh, actually, it's not a title, it's a description of the person. And what Peter's saying is uh, elders are older men. They're, they've had some experience. They're older and wiser. They're shepherds. Uh, they take care of the flock. And they're overseers uh, in that they oversee uh, the flock and the operation of it and what the church does and all of that. So elders, shepherds, pastors, bishops, all the same uh, person, the same title, the same office. Deacons are a little bit different. So viewers close, and uh, that's the way the Bible uses titles, and any of those are acceptable today. Uh, elder or shepherd is probably the most common, but uh, any of those work to refer to the local leadership of a church, the, the elders. Makes All sense. All right, movie review again. Yes, yeah. I've got another question related to a movie. A viewer wants to know, does God afflict people with the wounds of Christ as in the movie Stigmata? Um, so for those of our viewers who don't know, and there's probably many who don't, uh, a stigmata is, is someone miraculously bearing the wounds of Christ. So no one is doing thing, anything to them. Uh, it's just happening. So they're, 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 uh, they, they get wounds on their back, supposedly. Uh, they get wounds on their head from the crown of thorns, pierced through the side, uh, and wounds on their, their hands and feet, um, like as Jesus was nailed to the cross. Um, so if you look back at church history, there are many who claim that this happened to them, um, but uh, the legitimacy has a lot of doubt surrounding it, and in many of those cases, this has been proved false. Um, recently, in the early 2000s, there was a movie, like the viewer said, called Stigmata, where this happened to someone. From what I can gather, it was basically a horror movie. Um, but but nowhere do we see that in the Bible. Now, there are many people who say this happened to Paul, and the verse they use is Galatians 6.17, uh, which says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Uh, this is taken way out of context if we think that that verse means stigmata. If we look at the rest of Paul's life, we can see that this simply means that he was wounded um, due to his commitment to follow Christ. And we can see those instances in the Bible. Um, so we share in Christ's suffering, definitely. The, the Bible says that. Uh, but there is nothing concerning uh, um, miraculously having his wounds or stigmata uh, in the Bible anywhere. And I would highly doubt that, that these events ever took place. Okay. Yeah, Paul could uh, point to... A lot of wounds and yes. tell you where he had been and what happened. Here, here was this beating in this city and here was a stoning in this city. And That's right. They didn't just appear. I got, yeah, I got, got this in the shipwreck. And yeah, when he lists all of his trials, uh, he was a beat up old man. Yes, he was. 
Yep, probably why he traveled with a physician. Yeah. He kept Luke Good around idea. with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, most of you know that we, the Churches of Christ, produce this program, and we're sponsored by the Churches of Christ across the viewing area. Uh, so we like to mention a few of them each week, those that support us today. Uh, if you're watching from the Sioux Falls, South Dakota station up there, KDLT, uh, you need to know that we're helped stay on the air up there by the Sioux Falls Church of Christ. Uh, great bunch of people up there that meet together at 1208 Southeastern Avenue. Uh, they believe and study the Bible a lot like we do here on this program and help us present these questions and answers to you each week. So if you live in uh, Sioux Falls or in that area looking for a church home, I'd suggest the Sioux Falls Church of Christ. Uh, if you know somebody that attends that church, maybe you should uh, mention to them that, hey, I watch Know Your Bible, and I appreciate you keeping it on the air for us. Uh, lots of churches and lots of uh, all of our viewing areas help us stay on the air, so we invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you, whatever market you might be in. Uh, you'll be warmly welcomed and find a great group of folks. So visit Church of Christ sometime. All right, okay, a question Toby, about ordination. Ordained. What does the Bible say about being ordained? The Bible really doesn't say anything about being ordained as we understand it. The word ordination simply means to uh, officially recognize or to install, make someone a minister uh, or a religious leader. And uh, there's not any, uh, at least that we have record of in the Bible, of that happening. Uh, probably the closest thing would be when they sent off uh, someone on a missionary journey uh, sometimes the apostles would uh, lay their hands on them and, or say a prayer, but we don't have any anything close to what we would call ordination. Uh, really nothing. Uh, that's just simply a, a man-made idea that came along later. Uh, the Bible's actually pretty clear that uh, all of us are, uh, uh, as Peter would say, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So, all of us, in the sense of being Christians, uh, are priests, are uh, our priesthood, uh, chosen people, and and uh, if you want to think about it that way. But no, the Bible doesn't have a specific ordination pro process for churches. Uh, you know, you Steve mentioned uh, elders and deacons, and sometimes churches will have uh, some sort of a process where they recognize a man uh, who's being. Uh, appointed to that role of being an elder or deacon, um, but different churches do different things. We really don't have a specific process, if you will, uh, from a biblical perspective. So um, that's just something that came along later, But uh, and some people make a big deal about being ordained. Uh, being ordained, really, <laughs> uh, you can go online and get ordained in a matter of about 15 minutes uh, with your credit card number. So uh, it looks different in, in today's world for sure. But the main uh, understanding is that uh, church is trying to do what the Bible teaches, uh, just recognizing and appointing people uh, to the roles talked about in the Bible. Uh, but there's no specific process for that. So, no, ordination isn't in, found in the Bible. It's uh, something that came along much later and uh, varies from uh, congregation to congregation, but there's nothing the Bible mentions. So, All that right. helps. Do our uh, 
wonders about communion. Kind of an interesting question here. Uh, should you take communion if the person serving it is not living a Christian life? Uh, all right, now I kind of understand the concept. Uh, I can imagine in my mind that uh, you go to church at time for communion and somebody that's taking a public role in the service and maybe it's not even communion maybe it's uh, saying a prayer or something else in the the service Uh, if you know that person is leading a rebellious sinful uh, life that detracts from the witness of Christ in the community uh, it would be hard to keep your mind on the worship perhaps but the answer is not not taking communion Uh, the answer to that kind of imagined situation is to go talk to that person Uh, if there is sin in that brother's life uh, go talk to them about it Uh, admonish them Uh, get some spiritual person to go with you and and talk to him about it Uh, talk to the leadership of the congregation the elders about it Uh, the answer is not to just not worship yourself. So I can kind of imagine a situation like that. But the main thing that's wrong with that concept is where do you decide the line is that someone's not living a Christian life? Uh, I can guarantee you uh, that everybody that takes any public role uh, in a service is not living like Christ. Some of them may be a little closer than others, uh, but nobody's living a perfect, sinless life. So where do you say, okay, I've decided that person's not living a Christian life? Uh, So that's a big problem with that mentality. Uh, The second thing is that uh, it detracts from what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, You're not there supposed to be judging everybody and deciding how everybody's living their life. Uh, you're supposed to be remembering Christ. You're supposed to be worshiping. In fact, Paul talked about that. I think this is the key verse that might help you decide what to do in a situation like that. 1 Corinthians 11:28. Paul's talking about the communion, the Lord's Supper. He says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. All right, so when it comes time for communion... Instead of analyzing everybody that's taking part in the service, uh, Paul says you're supposed to be analyzing yourself. Uh, supposed to be uh, uh, examining yourself to see how you're doing in your Christian walk. So, once again, I kind of understand what our viewers saying, and there, there's ways to deal with that. Uh, but the answer is not just forsaking communion. All right, let's uh, make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And it was a marriage question. We got a lady named Bernice, and uh, gave you three options. Who her husband was, Felix Agrippa or Festus? And the correct answer is King Agrippa, Acts 25. You can read that whole story. And Bernice and Agrippa had all kinds of messed up, dysfunctional relationships, but uh, you can get the gist of it there in Acts chapter 25. Uh, Bernice and Agrippa were a a pair that uh, uh, Paul appeared before. 
Glad that you've been with us today, and I hope we got your question answered. If not, we're going to be back next week and try to answer some more of them. So we'll invite you back then. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.